Good evening. It is certainly a blessing for us to be able to come and be with you, and we just want to make sure we thought, thank the elders for inviting us to come and for Adam for reaching out to us. Uh, we have richly been blessed to be able to be able to come here and visit and to worship with you this morning and again this evening. If you would go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, that's where we're going to be uh, this evening, Genesis chapter 3. But while you turn there, uh, have you ever heard of an anglerfish? Raise your hand if you have heard of an anglerfish. Uh, there's most of uh, there's more than I thought, which is good. If you haven't, I'm sure you have seen one in some kind of animated form. Uh, a while back, back when I was in high school, there was this movie, you might have heard of it, called Finding Nemo. Uh, well, as they're swimming, looking for his son Nemo, remember they have a mask that they have that has an important clue on there, and it drops to the bottom of the ocean so far down that it passes the depth where light can penetrate. And through some convincing of a fish who can't remember more than five seconds at a time, they go down and start investigating for this mask. Now, they can't see anything. And all of a sudden, this little light appears. And it has their attention. They start saying, I want to touch it. I want to follow it. And they swim closer to it and try to touch it, and it moves and it starts guiding them to a particular spot. Well, if that sounds familiar, it leads them right up to a fish that looks something, uh, let's see, maybe, oh, there it goes, something like that. And it is ready to attack, isn't it? It brings it right up to their mouth, and it is ready to strike. Well, that's based on a real fish. At the time, I didn't know that whenever I was watching this movie for the very first time. But it's based on a real fish at the depths of this, the ocean. There's no light down there, so it uses this bioluminescent spine on its dorsal uh, side, and it lures fish right up to its mouth so that it can eat. Temptation and sin work in almost an exact same way. It lures us. It entices us. It makes us think, that's something I want to be a part of. That is something that I want to experience. And then it brings us right up to a point where there could be some death involved. Sometimes physical, but also spiritual death. And so if you would, if you're there, turn uh, to Genesis chapter 3 if you haven't turned there. But we're going to be looking at lessons from the fall that we can learn. Uh there we go. Lessons from the fall from Genesis chapter 3. And if you would, we're going to pick up in verse number 1 of Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's kind of a scary thought process, isn't it? You've got this, this world that is perfect. You have this creation that is wonderful. You, everything is perfect. And I think I hit a button which made everything disappear. I'm causing a headache for that man back there. Uh, 
but we'll get it. And if not, no worries. We can move on without it if we need to. Um, but temptation is common. You have this perfect world that God has made. Hey, look, there it is. In Genesis chapter 1, we have that creation account. Genesis chapter 2, we have another focus on, on man and his creation and how God built this Garden of Eden just for him to dwell. And he has given them certain commands saying, Hey, whenever you are in this garden, I want you to work it. I want you to keep it. And you can only eat, you can eat of any tree you want except for one. The, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, Do not touch that tree. In Genesis chapter 3, you have Satan come in and say, Hey, why don't you go and why don't you take a, take a bite? Hey, why don't you take a piece? You won't surely die. Did God really say you can't eat out of any of these trees in the garden? He starts questioning the knowledge of Eve about God. And then not only does he question her knowledge about God, but he also draws in some doubt into her mind about what God has said. He says, you won't die, even though that's exactly what God had said. But Satan says, you won't die, you'll be all right. Temptation has plagued mankind ever since. It is a tale almost as old as time itself. We don't know exactly how long Adam and Eve were in the garden up until this point uh, before they tempt or are tempted by the devil and then ultimately commit the first sin. Uh, but I know if it was based on my life, it wouldn't have taken very long. But yet we don't know. There are no time markers for us to place this event. But we know what happened. We know that temptation came her way, and temptation comes to all of us. You know, I have a picture of donuts up there, and Kelsey said, why in the world would you put donuts up there as a temptation? You've turned donuts into sin. I said, well, no, no, I didn't. It's just this idea of, hey, we have all gone through these uh, times when, you know, maybe we're trying to lose a little bit of weight, or maybe we're just trying to cut back on some sweets. But as soon as you see a donut, everything changes. At least for me, it does. I, donuts is my weak spot. Donut is what I want for breakfast if I'm going to ever eat breakfast. And so I would see one and, you know, it's not going to be one. We're going to be about four donuts in before I start wondering if it's time to stop. Temptation is common to man. Uh, in um, Matthew chapter 4, we have the temptation of Jesus. You remember, he has been in the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights. And then guess who comes up to him in Matthew chapter 4? Satan does. And you know what? I'm betting Jesus is hungry. His flesh is probably weak, ready for some food. And the devil comes up to him and says, Hey, I know you have the power. You can turn these stones into bread and you can be satisfied. You won't be hungry anymore. And then you remember, he takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, why don't you just go ahead and jump? Because we know that God is not going to let your foot strike stones. You are going to be all right. We know this, so why don't you just go ahead and try it? And then he takes him up onto the, the mountainside and says, look at all of these kingdoms. They can all be yours. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. See, even Jesus was tempted by Satan. 
And we know that He came through it and He was perfect and without sin, but it doesn't mean that those temptations were not laid in front of Him at His feet. Not only that, but in Luke chapter 4 and verse number 13, in this same instance when He's talking about the devil coming to Him in the wilderness, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 13 it says, When the devil has ended every temptation, he departed from Him until an opportune time. You see, that wasn't the only time Jesus was tempted either. He was a man in the flesh, just like we were. Now, he was flesh and he was all man and all God. It's a concept we have a hard time grasping. But he was flesh too. He suffered through temptations. Um, in Luke chapter 17, uh, Jesus would tell his disciples that temptations to sin are sure to come. He said, they are going to come your way. It is one of the few guarantees that we have in life. Some say that the only guarantees are death and taxes. Well, Jesus just guaranteed one more. He said, temptations are coming your way. But not only that, he says, um, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Temptation to sin is very, very common. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse number 13, Paul would write to the church in Corinth. He says, No temptation to sin has overtaken you that is not common to man. Sometimes we can get a feeling of no one else is facing the struggle like I'm facing. Sometimes we can say, I am the only one who is experiencing this temptation to go out and do something that I know I shouldn't do. And God tells us repeatedly that this is not the case. There is no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. We are all tempted to sin. It's one of the few guarantees that we have. It's what we do when we are tempted that makes all the difference. Now, the first lesson is temptation to sin is common. But the next lesson we're going to look at is proximity to sin is dangerous. Pick up in, in chapter 3. We're just going to look at the very first part of verse number 6 together. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that's where we're going to stop. What happens next? Now, we don't know how much time has transpired between the end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse number 6. But she has found herself near the very thing that she has been tempted with. Proximity to sin is dangerous. Because we all know how this story goes. She gets there within arm's reach of this tree, and she's going to decide to take a bite, and she's going to pass it off to Adam, and he is going to take a bite. She has put herself in a situation that is not good. She has put herself in a situation where temptation is not going to be at its weakest but it's going to be at its strongest. See, the devil put that in her mind that, you know what? God surely won't kill me. I surely won't die. Surely God is just over-exaggerating. And that doubt has put her within arm's reach of sin. Sometimes we like to do that too, don't we? Sometimes we hear about sin or we have a temptation that has hit our minds and we, instead of running from it, we decide, you know what? I want to see what it looks like. I want to see how enjoyable this is. I've heard about it, but I kind of want to have this experience. Isn't that right? 
sometimes we like to play close to the fence instead of running as far away from the fence as possible. That's why when you go to a zoo, how many fences are there? There's usually two, aren't there? If, there, if it's an outside part of the zoo, there's like a wooden fence, and then there's like a shrubbery type fence, and then there's another fence behind that one, and then there's a deep ravine if it's an animal that's really dangerous, saying, hey, you need to not get close to this. Now, why are there so many fences and barriers between you and dangerous animals at the zoo? We like to get close. And there are still people who will still go that extra mile to climb all, over all of these fences and get through all of these barriers to get to where these dangerous animals are. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8, God tells us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he goes through Peter saying, hey, the devil is a prowling lion seeking those whom he can devour. So why in the world are we trying to get as close to that fence as we can. And oftentimes we look at Eve and go, what in the world are you doing, Eve? You see, we have the end of the story. We know how it all plays out. But sometimes it's like that ESPN segment on SportsCenter. You had one job, right? You had one job. Stay away from that tree and take care of the garden. That's it. But we're the exact same way. We try to get as close, or sometimes we try to play the fence. Sometimes we try to stand and play on both sides. And a wise preacher uh, uh, once said, you can play on the fence all you want, but just remember that the devil owns that fence. You're not going to escape from there. Our job is to draw away from Satan, right? To flee from him, draw near to God and resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. If you're drawing near to God, you're going the opposite way of the devil. You're not trying to get as close as you can. You're trying to get as far away from him as you can. We're not supposed to give the devil any opportunities for us to sin and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 27 says, Give no opportunity to the devil. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Proximity to sin is dangerous. If you're within an arm's reach of temptation and sin, you're within an arm's reach of the devil himself. The third lesson that we need to learn from this experience from Eve in the garden is that the appearance of sin is deceptive. Again, Genesis chapter 3, we'll pick up in the ver beginning of verse number 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was able to, or was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Eve has approached this temptation. This temptation remember, temptation is common. She wasn't an exception. Temptation is dangerous. And she is now right there and looking at it. And she says, it looks good. This tree looks good. This fruit looks delicious. I bet it tastes just as good. The appearance of sin is deceptive. 
All sin uh, deceives us. It all looks good. I remember we watched a live stream just last week uh, of the service here, and I remember Adam talking about how if it didn't look good, then no one would want to do it, right? But the devil is very, very good at what he does. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's what he attacks us with. The lust of the flesh, man, I want to take part of that. I bet that tastes good. I bet that experience is satisfying. It's going to be enjoyable. The lust of the eyes, it looks good. It looks like fun. All of these popular kids are doing it over here. The pride of life, I won't get caught. Surely God, what God has said, maybe he, he'll overlook this one little problem. Maybe he'll, he'll turn his eye whenever I do this. Maybe he won't see this. That's what the devil tries to attack us with. The appearance of sin is deceptive. But the next lesson here is this. The taste of sin is sweet. She takes a bite and it must not have tasted too bad because if it was nasty, if it didn't taste good, she probably wouldn't have passed it over to Adam who would also take a bite. Not only that, but the effects that happened, they must have, uh, everything happened, must that, get tongue-tied. Okay. But it, everything that was promised must have come true. Because look at with, with me to Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It did not disappoint, did it? They have started realizing things that they have never realized before. Things that didn't really matter to them. But as soon as they take a bite of this fruit, they, they realize the state that they're in. And they look at it and say, this is not good. We need to change some things. We need to get some clothes on. Sin today is the same way. You may look at it and say, man, that looks like fun. And guess what? It probably is. Actually, I know what it is. Hey, I bet that, that drink probably tastes really good. And it might. Hey, I bet doing this is going to be very exciting. It's going to be very fulfilling. It's going to be everything that I had hoped for. And you know what? It just might be. That's why sin is so hard. That's why it is such a snare to us. That's why it is so deceptive and that the taste of sin is so sweet. The devil is very, very good at what he does. But the consequences of sin is costly. Look with me to what happens next. After they have eaten of this tree that is not good for them to eat of, that God told them not to eat of, that the devil convinced them that wouldn't be this bad, in Genesis chapter 3, picking up in verse number 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, 
where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? This was not something that pleased God. Whenever he looks at you and says, what have you done? I can't imagine the sinking feeling that would have hit Eve and that would have hit Adam whenever God looks at him and says, you have messed up. But that's not the worst of it. Let's keep on looking. Uh, Verse number 13, Then uh, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for it out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and the dust you shall return. Verse, let's get down, down to verse number 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve had it made in the shade. They had this perfect garden that was made for them by God. The perfect place. They were perfect in the eyes of God. They were created in the very image of God. And he looked down and said, behold, it is very good. And because of what they have done, they are no longer pure and sinless, but they have become defiled and sinful and God has punished them but I would imagine that the worst punishment of all was God saying you can no longer be in my presence because the way it sounds whenever they hear him walking in the garden that that was possibly something that they had heard several times before because they knew who it was who was coming and so they hid So they were more than likely in a relationship with God that was special there, and they have now been removed from it. The consequence of sin is costly. Whenever we look at our own lives, whenever we have sinned, whenever we have messed up, you know, sometimes, you know, there is some physical aspects to it. Sometimes we can get hurt. 
Sometimes addictions form. Sometimes families are split apart. Sometimes you end up having children whenever you aren't married and that child grows up with one parent. Sin physically can even result in some death. You hear about teenagers all the time who go out on drinking binges and they die. Sin is costly. But it costs you more spiritually. Isaiah uh, chapter 52 in verse or 59 rather in verses number 1 and 2 say behold the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save or his dull or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Our sins separate us from God. It drives a wedge, because God cannot be where sin resides. God cannot have a relationship with darkness. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. God says, if you are walking in darkness, He says, I cannot be there with you. Now that doesn't mean that He is not going to wait for you to come out of that darkness with open arms. The prodigal son is that very same story. Whenever he goes off to live in wild living, whenever he comes back, the father sees him and runs to him and hugs him and embraces him and welcomes him back home. But sin drives that wedge between us and our God, and God will allow you to go. Turn to the book of Romans chapter 1, and you can read it several times where it says, and God gave them up to their desires, to their wants, to what they want to do in this life that God could not approve of. He said, I will give you over to that. But he's still right there waiting for you to come home. Sin has its earthly consequences, but spiritual consequences are much, much more because it causes you relationship with your father. Temptation to sin is common. Everyone is tempted, and everyone falls into the temptation. We oftentimes will go in the proximity of the sin with the desire and the intent to do it. The appearance of sin is deceptive. It looks fun. It looks desirous. It looks like it's going to be a great time. The taste of sin is sweet. It looks, sun, it looks exciting and fun and enjoyable because it is. But the consequence of sin is costly, separating us from our God. In James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I didn't plan on it this way until I was writing it. But those... those Second, or those words on the bottom were color-coded for a reason. Because I found every point in these two verses right here. After I'd already written this lesson, I went back and said, oh, I need to go back and do James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And I looked and I said, each one of those is in there. Each person 
is tempted. It's common. When he's lured and enticed, it is dangerous. It is something that looks good, but it's a lure. It is something that is there to snag you by his own desires. Something that you want. Something that looks great. Something that looks satisfying. Then desire when it is conceived is something that is sweet. Something that has taken place. Gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The consequences of sin. The separation that it brings from you and your father spiritually. But thanks be to God that that's not where this is. Because if you remember, there is a promise here in Genesis chapter 3. The very first promise of Christ. Go back to chapter 3. And verse number 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is exactly what happens when Jesus dies on the cross, is buried in the tomb, and rises up again on that third day. He conquers sin. He conquers Satan. Yes, Satan got his bruise in. He bruised his heel. Jesus came and He was rejected. He was despised and afflicted, the Scriptures tell us. He was hung on a cross. He was put to death by those who should have been looking for Him and were able to recognize who He was and what He was here to do. Yeah, He died. But thanks be to God that He rose on that third day. He has conquered sin. He has allowed for us to have the opportunity to have our sins washed away, to come back into a relationship with our God, with our Creator, with our Maker. Because He loved us so much that He was willing to give His Son for us. In 1 John, um, yeah, 1 John chapter 1, picking up in verse number 17, it also tells us, uh, that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And what's suggested there is that while we're striving to walk in the light the best that we can, the blood of Christ is continually working in our lives. It doesn't mean that we have to live perfect. We're not going to live perfectly. We are going to be tempted. We are going to fall in temptation. We are going to sin. But as long as we're willing to repent, as long as we're doing our very best to follow Christ and are obedient to Him, that promise is for us. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. There may be those here uh, tonight who haven't obeyed the gospel, who, haven't have the, who don't have the benefit of having uh, their sins forgiven by God. The opportunity is yours tonight. You can be washed in the graves of baptism, and rise a new creation, and the Lord will add you to His church tonight. There may be those who are struggling in their faith and need to repent. We'll pray with you. You can come forward now while we stand and sing the invitation song.